This is the Jeff Orbit Show. All right, welcome back to the Jeff Orbit Show. This is Mark Howard. I'm filling in for Jeff, who is taking a well-deserved day off and uh, spending it down in Camp Verde away from our uh, getting cold, chilly weather, possibly snow up here. I'm here in seven inches. I've got uh, special guest Bob Thorpe, who is often on this show. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think Jeff is just kind of wimping out on us. <laughs> he saw even, the cold weather coming, and he said, I'm flying south. Is this what they call cold feet? Having cold feet? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, Jeff, Jeff you know, I, I mentioned to him on the phone yesterday that, um, goodness, he's been doing this for years and years and years, and he still has the enthusiasm to continue doing it. And so he's doing a real service, you know, for our community. And I, I appreciate that, you know, from time to time, he, you know, you got to take a little breather. And so I, I hope he uh, gets a little bit of rest and relaxation. Yeah, he's been doing the show. We're actually over 1,800 shows now. Wow, and, uh, that's great. Seems like just 1,000 was celebrated not too long ago, but yeah, I mean, it's that's a lot of shows. It's impressive. It's very impressive. So before we get to this, some hot topics coming out of the uh, Arizona legislature, uh-huh. uh, weather, what have you heard? On the weather? Yeah, I'm, I've been hearing you know, seven inches. I'm hearing all these things. I've gotten some alerts from Coconino County that talk about that over... Um, like 6,000, 7,000 feet, you know, one to seven inches. And, you know, it's so surprising too, because last night about 1030, I was out walking my dog and <laughs> I look up and you can see every star in the sky, you know, uh, not a cloud in the, in the sky. And, and then this morning it was starting to cloud up. It's, it's definitely cooler. I mean, yesterday you were probably loving it. It was, uh, over 50 degrees yesterday. Oh yeah. I was working outside on my, uh, my camper, uh, on my truck and yeah, it was great weather. Absolutely crazy crazy for winter and, and as i was walking into the studio which you know has no windows in here it's not like right. wkrp in cincinnati you remember that show oh yes they would look out the window and say yeah it's uh sunny and was, was that less nesman less nesman and uh that was a classic show i remember one of their episodes they decided to uh, celebrate thanksgiving and they were throwing turkeys out of a <laughs> helicopter out of the uh, news <laughs> helicopter and uh and they thought that the turkeys would fly well they, they don't know how to fly it's like, <laughs> so, so the Les Nessman's like, oh, the humanity. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. Oh, that is terrible. You know, you mentioned uh, news helicopters. So I grew up in Dallas, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember back, it was like 80, 81, 82. My uncle, or I called him an uncle. He's actually a cousin because he was older. But mm-hmm. he would fly a helicopter for the local radio station. Oh, wow. Just to report on traffic. Uh-huh. And I've, I don't know what's happened, but you don't see that anymore. You know, they still do it like in Los Angeles. Okay. And, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Maybe who, really big markets. Who was the guy flying the, um, oh, the U-2 that got shot down in Russia? Oh, yeah. Gary Powers? Okay. I don't that? remember his name, but I do yeah, remember I the incident. I think it was Gary Powers. So Gary, you know, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. And um, so Gary Powers was really famous because, you know, he's like, I think the only U-2 spy plane pilot that ever got shot down and the Russians right. shot him down. And he's supposed to take like a cyanide pill, uh, you know, before he hits the ground. He's supposed to, you know, set off an explosive inside the airplane to destroy all <laughs> the electronics. And he doesn't do any of those things. So he's captured. Uh, they've got the our electronics. And uh, so years and years later, of course, he gets, he, we 
get him out of um, you know custody in the Soviet Union, and he becomes a um, I think it was a helicopter pilot for one of the local news programs. Oh, interesting! And he crashes and dies. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so, but he had done it, I, I don't know, five, 10 years or something like that, where he was flying for the local news and, uh, but then he dies. Wow. And, and so, you know, it's interesting. The, I'm sure the, there were some conspiracy theories flying. The, the Russians weren't able to kill him, but you know, news chopper killed him. <laughs> wow. That's really crazy. Yeah. I do remember that. Cause, uh, that was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Francis Gary Powers. That was, that was his full name. And the U-2 plane, surprisingly, you know, after the U-2, they, they got the SR-71. Right. But then they started using the U-2s again. They you know, do. And I yeah. want to say even in the Gulf War, maybe even mm-hmm. since. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly. it's a. I think it's a much cheaper aircraft to fly compared to the SR-71s. And it, yeah, it flies really high. The, oh, like 80,000 feet. ceiling's enormous. You, know, I mean, you think about a, a commercial jetliner is around 35,000, 40,000 feet. Yep. And these guys are up around 80,000, 90,000 feet. You really can actually high. see the curve of the earth. And, uh, you know, it's so wild about the SR. I, I got to see the last flight, the official flight of an SR-71 at Edwards Air Force Base. Oh, wow. And... Um, just an amazing aircraft and uh they literally take like four states uh when they're doing an approach for landing (laughs) when they're slowing down for that landing they actually cover uh, like four states now i heard it we're kind of getting off topic uh supposed to be talking about the legislature (laughs) but i did hear an interesting story about the sr-71 and uh, they had it they were developing it out in the desert Mm -hmm. and they had it up on a stand and uh like i don't know 15 20 feet or whatever off the ground um and we're doing whatever testing on it. And then they took it down and put it back in the hangar. Mm-hmm. Well, the, uh, and apparently they had it. Cu- I can't remember the whole detail, but what I do remember is that the Russians were able to see the imprint in the sand, not from the pressure of the plane, but from the, the cold versus the hot. Cause it was a shaded yeah. spot all day. Mm-hmm. And the Russians were able to detect oh, the goodness. shape of the plane. Interesting. Based out of the cool in the sand versus the surrounding hot sand. Yeah, in the uh, in the first Gulf War, they were uh, they were first started with uh, B-52s doing carpet bombing uh, mm-hmm. in Iraq, and um, and that was absolutely you know ineffective because they're blowing up mostly sand. Right. And so they switched to using the F-111, um, which is you know very high speed swept wing um, fighter bomber. Right. And what they started doing with that was waiting until after dark. Uh, because um, the Iraqi army tanks were were buried, you know, under under the dirt and stuff, and had camouflage over it. Yep. And so, you know, two or three hours after dark, they could fly over the desert and they'd see these heat signatures of <laughs> of the metal tank. Where the and, sand had cooled and the tank didn't. Exactly. Yeah. And so they were able to then do precision bombing and, uh-huh. and take out those uh, those vehicles. Wow. Yeah, I've heard similar things. We had a uh, a helicopter fighter helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, pilot stay with us and he was telling us stories oh, about uh, in iraq um and he could see even when the guys would hide you know he could see them with the uh, infrared well i i used to work on the um apache helicopter program yep. uh, i did uh, training devices uh, okay. for the apache and it was so cool because you could sit in the cockpit and you had a, a monocle they called it that's attached to your helmet and basically, as you as you move your head around, uh, the gun then follows, follows your you head. Know. So basically, if you're flying along, you're you're uh, the navigator, um, you know, um, and then also you're shooting the weapons. Uh, you could literally turn your head and look down 
and and then pull the trigger and it's going to go where you're looking you yeah, right and so one of the you know that aircraft is extremely complex but also really exceptional and so they would hide uh, for example underneath a hill and they could pop up uh, above the hill literally for a second or two and their electronics would basically capture everything that's out on the uh, um, out in the field that you know uh, the potential for you know, enemy targets sure they'd then drop back down they would set up their uh, their weapon systems as far as where they wanted their uh, their missiles to go for example their uh, um, uh, like their tow missiles and things. And then they'd pop back up, launch their missiles and then leave and, <laughs> and, you know, just shooting and, and then they're done. They're, you know, they've got all, all the, uh, um, the targeting information already programmed into the missile. So that's the, been the one big advantage the United States has had for a long time, de- decades now is technology mm-hmm. in warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we look at our, our biggest enemy now really is China. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. And they don't have our technology, but sheer numbers of both men and equipment. And they, they kind of do have our technology because they keep, they keep uh, trying to stealing steal it. it. Yes. But they don't steal it very well. And they've, they've stolen <laughs> Rush, Russian technology for years, and they, yeah. they copy their fighters and their tanks, and they're never as good. I got to fly a professional simulator. You know, it was like a $5 million simulator for the uh, F-22. Okay. And I have uh, 200 hours in the F-18 when I used to build training devices uh, for the um, – we did it mostly for the Navy as well as for the Marines. And um, and so, you know, I'm you know, very well aware of how that air- aircraft, you know, flies and responds. But I got to fly the F-22, and what a kick in the pants. You could literally, for example, um, if, if you're flying any other aircraft, let's say you – point your nose down a little bit and tilt your wings over a little bit, um, then the wind that's hitting the aircraft, things like that, is going to change your orientation. With this aircraft, you literally could do that. You could point your nose down, let's say five degrees, kick kick up your wings a couple degrees, and then take your hands off the controls. And the airplane would continue flying exactly what you told it to fly. So it would compensate automatically for all the the crosswinds and... Yeah, and um, and then you know I, I selected a target that was out like twenty thirty miles, and I launched a missile, and I could see on my display the target, right. and I could see the missile approaching the target and hitting the target, and then and then I had a uh, another aircraft target that was behind me, kind of off to the left, and so um, the instructor had me you know kick the aircraft over. And I wasn't even lined up with the target. I, I was within about 20 degrees of the target, and then I launched my missile and then resumed my flight. And, um, and that's all it took, you know, <laughs> is just to kind of be in the general direction of the target, launch a missile, and then go off and do whatever you need to do. So that's a game changer. And that, that kind of technology is what the U.S. has been relying on. Fly by wire. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, most of our enemies don't have that. Yeah. that type of technology, but mm-hmm. it's also very expensive. I mean, they cut the F-22 program, or at least they've said they've they cut did. it. They did. You know, all the aircraft are now in, um, like, reserve units. Uh, they're not even in active military units. The uh, F-35 uh, is the big dog now. And um, and so that, and that aircraft... Um, you know, has been deployed and has been pretty successful. And one, one of the things I find interesting about the F-35 is, you know, with the F-18, if I really wanted to go um, supersonic, I would have to put my afterburners on. Right. The F-35, you don't. I mean, you put it in what's referred to as MIL, M-I-L, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, just a standard speed and you're already exceeding um, the sound barrier. 
So that's one of the technologies that uh, is hopefully coming to passenger airliners. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a number of the big companies, American Airlines, United, others have made orders for the new generation of supersonic passenger jets. NASA is just now getting ready to start test flying a, a single-seat fighter jet that has a really long pointed nose on it and other enhancements. And the idea being that when it's supersonic, uh, like the long, long nose, pointed nose, um, will help disperse um, sonic booms. So it, it's almost beginning to look like a missile at some point. The oh, it, it, it looks really <laughs> odd because, uh, you know, the, you look at the uh, the canopy where the pilot is sitting and, and then the, the nose cone just goes off another like 20 feet in front of the pilot. And, <laughs> and so it looks very unusual, but that's what they're trying to do is try to figure out how to get rid of those sonic booms. So earlier in the week, uh, Jeff and I were talking about... Um, you know, the Ukraine, and should we fund Ukraine? Should we not sure. fund Ukraine? And I was arguing that, yeah, let's give them our old generation weapons right. that, that we don't mm-hmm. even want to use anymore because they're outdated now. Mm-hmm. And let them fight with them. And, sure. Or not even give it to you. You could do a Lend-Lease program. Yep. <laughs> and say, and, and you, you, know, you got to pay, pay for these things <laughs> at some point. Yeah, and you think about... For example, you know, our missile technology and, and uh, yeah, if we're using, you know, if we're giving them, let's say, 15-year-old missile technology that works well. Right. Um, and then we have the opportunity to, to then go ahead and upgrade and, and get the, the newer generation missiles. Right. And we, and we kind of have field testing that way of our weapons, mm-hmm. not just experimental testing, but actual live combat testing of our weapons. To say, oh, here's an improvement we can make. I was meeting with the commandant, the commander over at Navajo, um, um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think, what do they call it? Uh, Camp Navajo. Oh, out in Belmont. Yeah, in yeah. Belmont. And uh, they've got these old bungalows out there. And um, and so one of the bungalows had World War II um, uh, rockets, um, uh, bazookas. Oh, Bazo- yeah. Bazooka, <laughs> bazooka rounds. Yeah. Bazooka rounds. And uh, and so we're laughing about it. He said, he's like, yeah, I, I had to get rid of all these rounds. You know, they're really old. We didn't know what to do with them. And he goes, yeah, I was thinking about putting a sign out on the interstate that says, you know, fire a bazooka 20 bucks. And, <laughs> That's not a bad idea. <laughs> and I, I laughed and I, I, I told the guy, I said, I would have cleaned out my ATM account. If, yeah. Yeah. If I'd had that opportunity to. Oh, you could put another digit on that. 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how fun would that be? <laughs> yeah, that would be a blast. And they they actually have blown up quite a bit of munitions out there at uh, at Belmont. Yeah, I think low level, nothing nothing really big. And, no, but and, just getting rid of old right. munitions. Yeah, they, I used to be a firefighter, you know, and, oh, and that's one, right. one yeah. of our concerns uh, out in that area was um, that if you did, for example, like a broadcast burn and trying to reduce fire hazards, things like that, that there might be some old unexploded munitions that, that the fire would then set off. And so that was always a concern out at uh Camp uh, Navajo. Now, interestingly, up here in Flagstaff, uh, there's Fort Tuthill, mm-hmm. which is an Air Force. It's a county park with a, an attached Air Force recreation area. Exactly. But I saw a sign go up there once that there was possibly old munitions in oh, the wow. park. And then if you saw one, report it and oh, don't approach it. And uh, Kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it reminds me a little bit of my, my, I spent some years in Israel. And there would be minefields, active oh, minefields, yeah. and they'd be posted in you know, it would say, don't hike through here. And it usually wow. was a piece of barbed wire with a small sign on it uh-huh. keeping you out, which is wow. not very much. That's scary. It is. Yeah. It is. 
And, you know, it's interesting with Israel because there's so many antiquities, too. I mean, right. you know, if somebody wants to build a new house, they start digging and they, you know, they find ruins from, you know, uh, the turn of the century or, or I mean, uh, many centuries back, I should oh, say. Oh, yeah. 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 The, yeah the, Just incredible. It is. That's, that's always been a big issue over there is anytime they go to build a road mm-hmm. or a house or anything. And I've asked Israelis about that. It's like, isn't it important? And they're like, yeah, but we also have to live here. We have to live somewhere. The oh, yeah. whole place is antiquities. <laughs> well, the same here in northern Arizona that, you know, I, I've spoken with people, utility companies, and they'll go out, for example, to put up a new power line or something like that. And so they start digging and they've run into some shards, you know. And, yeah. um, so then they have to have scientists come out and look at the site to see if um, – uh, if there's a, something that needs to be protected, they oftentimes contact some of the local tribes uh, to have their people come out as well and take a look, yep. you know, because the last thing you want to do is be disturbing, you know, important sites, maybe even burial sites, things yep. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I suspect what happens here is probably what happens in Israel, which is mm-hmm. they build a road and they hit a, a site and then the religious people come out and say, hey, that's that's an important religious site. Sure. And some money gets exchanged, and uh, the road goes in. <laughs> well, you know, you would hope that, you know, if, if it does have some significance that, you know, they delay it for, let's say, a week or something like that, and they go in and they, you know, they uh, record everything, and then they take the antiquities out, you know, and send it to a museum. That That's what the hope would be. That's what the hope would be. I noticed in Israel what would happen is oftentimes it would be a graveyard. I mean, you've got a, a place that's been around since the dawn of time. Oh, yeah, thousands and thousands and, of years, sure. You know, if you hit a, a graveyard and the, the religious Jews would come out and say, hey, there's there's Jewish bodies buried there. You can't build your road. Mm-hmm. And they they would ask, hey, can't we just move the bodies to a different cemetery? Right. Like, oh, mm-hmm. no, no, no. And some dollars would exchange hands. Yeah. And they're like, oh, actually, we can move the bodies. We can, yeah. We just, <laughs> we just found a, a new provision or a law that allows us that to That allows do us that. to move them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was digging there, we actually hit a grave. This was in Jerusalem. Oh, wow. And a grave site. And um, it turned out, and they had to have the religious authorities come in. Uh-huh. And it turned out it was a uh, Muslim grave site. And the way you know is Jews, when they get buried, mm-hmm. have their heads pointing to the Mount of Olives. Interesting. Muslims point their heads towards Mecca. Uh-huh. And so they, they're looking at all these bodies like, no, they're all pointing towards Mecca. They're uh-huh. clearly, without even doing any DNA or anything. So if the earth shifts a little bit and uh, it changes the orientation of how they were buried. <laughs> a little you know, earthquake. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't know what they're doing then. <laughs> yeah, it, it could shift everything. Um, okay, we had some hot topics we were going to hit at the start of the hour, but let's, let's talk about this real quick. And you worked at the legislature for eight years, I believe? Yes, four, okay. four terms. Four terms. Mm-hmm. So we've had in this past uh, year... Four people leave, mm-hmm. um, two under bad circumstances. You mm-hmm. had the Republican uh, back in April um, in the House, mm-hmm. and her name was Liz Harris, who was expelled uh, over bringing in false witnesses, making all kinds of false claims about the right. elections, mm-hmm. accusing officials of bribes. Mm-hmm. And the Republican said, nope, you're out, yep. and replaced her. Uh-huh. Now we've got a Democrat, Representative Lisa Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, from also, she's from uh, the West Valley, Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just resigned yesterday uh, ahead of being kicked out. Right. The The ethics committee basically made recommendations that, you know, she was doing things that really harmed 
the operation, the reputation of the legislature. And so it was her decision. And yeah, I kind of applaud her for doing this. And I'm sure she was probably pressured as well. <laughs> no uh, doubt. But, uh, you know, it, it was her decision to go ahead and resign as opposed to going through that formal process of actually having her removed, which, of course, would have generated a lot of press. It would have. And it, I think it takes a two thirds vote or something. Along those lines, it's yeah, not a simple majority. I, um, I don't recall right off the top of my head. The I I went through it. There's there's a gentleman, uh, uh, Don Shooter. Okay, and uh, it was really really frustrating uh, to, to have gone through that process. And I like Don. Matter of fact, I'm I'm friends with him to this day. He's uh, he's definitely uh, a wild and crazy guy, and and he enjoyed being a wild crazy guy at the legislature uh but he i think he was kind of harmless uh, a lot he's a lot of uh, bravado mm-hmm. um and but yeah it was frustrating going through that process yeah it's when you've when you've been caught red-handed it's mm-hmm. the, the right thing to do is resign mm-hmm. um there were two other people that have left and uh one of them uh, amish shah i think is his name yeah if i'm saying it correctly mm-hmm. he's left to run for congress I know him too. Okay. Uh, uh, really, emergency room doctor. Okay. And um, I had a great friendship relationship with him. He was a great guy. He uh, he was a pilot. Did yeah. you guys overlap in the legislature? Were you? Uh, we were both down at the same time. Okay. I mean, he was. He had come in. He was a freshman one, when one you were going out, right? One or two terms after. Matter of fact, I stood up and supported him on the floor on one of his bills. You know, the Democrats were trying to kill one of his bills. Okay. Uh, and you know, he was a Democrat, and they yep. were trying to kill his bill. And I was one of many Republicans that stood up in in uh, support of him and and his bill. Wow, okay, so we're coming up against a hard break, but uh, again, the news is Representative Lisa Sun Sun mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, has resigned, yeah. and she will be replaced because she was a Democrat by another Democrat, according to Arizona law. Yeah, what what ends up happening is the um, the county supervisors in her her county, where wherever she's from, um, they uh, get recommendations from the party, um, usually two or three recommendations of who they would like to have that person replaced with and then uh, and then it has to be of the same party so a democrat is replaced by a democrat okay we'll have more of this when we come back in a few minutes you're listening to the jeff o show and i'm mark howitt your special host today hey if you're listening to the podcast please give us a great review and also give us a comment in there if you're not listening to the podcast Subscribe, look up the Jeff Orbit Show. Also on video, Rumble, follow us there, and on YouTube, subscribe. We appreciate everyone who's done that. You're listening to the Jeff Orbit Show. Gold has been a safe haven asset throughout history. Jeff Orbit's here. In fact, gold has returned 18% over the last three years and 54% over the last five, which easily trumps government bonds and high-yield savings accounts. I protect my retirement by investing a portion of my assets in gold and silver, and I rely on Justin at Desert Gold Exchange for expert advice on the best way to invest and to always get the lowest commissions guaranteed. Desert Gold Exchange, based right here in Arizona, deals exclusively in physical gold and silver, not a piece of paper. As a family-owned firm, Desert Gold Exchange keeps overhead low so they can pass those savings on to you. 
Call to get your questions answered or to request your free investor's kit with no pressure and no obligation. Call Desert Gold Exchange at 888-852-4343. That's 888-852-4343. Desert Gold Exchange, our family serving yours. The real estate market changes so much, and when you're selling your home, you need an agent who knows the latest trends. Henry says that's Kelly Broadus. When Henry and his wife were ready to sell their home in Flagstaff, they gave Kelly a call and were immediately impressed. Henry says that Kelly Broadus was so personable and so easy to work with. Thorough, too. She had the best advice on selling his home and knew the best price to list his home through her quick and easy-to-use search tool at northernarizonafinehomes.com. It helped Kelly to list Henry's home at a price that buyers found fair while still making the most money possible for Henry. He says the whole way through, Kelly did a fantastic job. That's why he's highly recommending that anyone looking to buy or sell a home give Kelly Broadus a call. Why don't you call the only agent that I would call if I needed to sell a home in Flagstaff and surrounding areas, and that's Kelly Broadus with the Broadus Properties Group, brokered by EXP, 888-446-5602. That's 888-446-5602, or find Kelly online, Google Kelly Broadus, or look up northernarizonafinehomes.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Jeff Orvitz Show. I'm Mark Howitt, sitting in for Jeff, who's taking the day off. And I've got Bob Thorpe, former Arizona representative at the state legislature, and now running for a new office. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, county recorder. Um, We were talking about Lisa Sun, representative from uh, western part of the valley, uh, Phoenix area, who just resigned after facing expulsion, possibly, Mm -hmm. um, from her own party or well actually the whole legislature would vote to they would and you know i apologize i don't recall uh, what percentage you need so in other words if um if you need just a simple majority uh, that's what uh, you have currently uh, in both the house and the senate as far as the republicans uh, making up a simple majority if you need two-thirds then you would uh, the leadership would then have to convince some of the people from the other party to join in and uh, that can be a challenge Right. Yeah. And I think it was two thirds. I was trying to remember, I was reading that earlier today and uh, most big important issues like that take more than a simple majority. In in most cases, uh, what we do down there is simple majority. You right. Need, most you bills, need, you know, uh, you need, for example, uh, 51%. Okay. So this next Monday, February 5th is mm-hmm. the last day to introduce bills. Mm-hmm. And I checked a couple of days ago, there's almost 1500 bills. Yeah introduced between the two houses usually between 12 and 1500 how many actually pass probably three to four hundred and are so of the three or four hundred twenty percent thirty percent somewhere in that neighborhood. some of those are going to be correcting language some of those are going to be yeah yeah the ones the ones that are technical fixes um are are usually you know in, in a perfect world uh you'll get support from the dems and the republicans on on bills like that uh, technical fixes uh the controversial ones are, are the ones that you know, you, you end up staying up late at night, you know, trying to get those things passed. So how many are of those three or 400 that actually passed, would you say are strictly party line 
bills where only Republicans vote for it or only Democrats? You know, I don't know off the top of my head. I would I would say there, yeah, just as a guess, that there's probably let's say 300 make it to the governor's desk. Probably 200 of those are um, important bills for the party that's in the majority. Okay. Yeah. So partisan bills. And, you know, what's difficult, and I always try to keep an open mind, uh, but what's difficult down at the legislature, for example, as a Republican, you would have, occasionally you'd have a Democrat bill that would come through, and I would certainly be supportive if it was, you know, uh, not a kind of a political, toxic kind of a bill. You know, that if, you know, a common sense bill helped Arizona, I certainly wanted to get behind those bills Mm -hmm. and and matter of fact i had conversations i had conversations with some of the the navajo representatives that were down at the legislature um when they would have bills and uh they would show me the language and uh and you know i'd make recommendations i'd say hey you know if you tweak the tweak this tweak this and you know take this one out you know your chances of actually getting it through the various committees and to the floor probably increase yeah, so basically, when a bill is introduced, mm-hmm. the Speaker of the House or the President of the Senate will assign it to committees. That's correct. Usually, always one committee plus the judiciary or it's, ethics. It's, um, yeah, that's actually the Rules Committee. Rules Committee. Yeah, so, so the Speaker, uh, if he's... Treating you nicely, he'll assign it to one committee and then rules. In most cases, it's usually assigned to two committees. If he wants to kill the bill, he'll assign it to more committees. He'll assign it to three to five committees if he just, you know, and then the bill <laughs> completely dies without ever just making it to the floor. Or mm-hmm. it becomes a striker. Um, well, if, if it's, if it's uh, being um, sent to multiple committees, then uh, it has no way to get to the floor where you could then turn it into a striker. Okay. Um, a striker is the idea with a striker um, is, for example, I, I might want to get a striker to the floor that uh, with the idea that I can take all the language in that bill and change it to something else. So I might uh, create a bill and I'll have legislative council draft that bill for me that says uh, we really love puppies here in Arizona. And um, and so that makes it through all the committees, makes it to the floor. People are laughing as it, as it makes its way through because they, everyone knows it's a striker. Right. <laughs> and then it gets to the floor, and uh, I want to do something for the city of Flagstaff that uh, to help reduce fire danger or something like that. That was an idea that came up uh, before the deadline of dropping bills. I can then take that striker, and I go to ledge council, and I basically say, I need a um, uh New language for my my bill here uh, that uh, that basically says that for the next five years, you know, um, the city of Flagstaff will do X, Y, and Z to reduce fire danger or something to that effect. Right. And then on the on the floor, I can then now start moving that bill with that new language. So, so striker it takes out all the original language except for the heading, basically. Exactly. Puts in new language, and you've essentially bypassed the committees, and it's just really being debated on the floor. You and can't. You can't can um you know at the very beginning let's say you're second weekend to uh, the legislature and for whatever reason you want to take one of your bills and completely change it you can do that and mm-hmm. and i think that that's probably uh, a better way of doing it that you uh if you change the language and then go through the committee process that's certainly a, a little more legit way of doing it i think so too because the 
the committee process allows the public to come in and make public comments. It's always frustrating. You know, if you live in the Phoenix area, it's not as frustrating. But if you're coming from remote parts of the state to talk about a bill that's before committee and you get there and it's either been canceled, Uh uh, postponed. Mm-hmm. Or change to a striker. Yeah, because because the uh, chairman of that committee has the uh, yeah the opportunity to also not hear that bill, and right. if that happens, then the bill's dead. Bill's dead. So um, one of the things, and you know, our listeners need to really understand this is you can sign up for something called the Request to Speak system. Right. And what's interesting about Request to Speak is the legislators that are sitting in a committee do not know if you are physically sitting in the audience and you've made a comment or asked a question about a bill or or you're in support of a bill or against a bill they don't know if you're physically there at the capitol or if you're remote and so it gives um our citizens the ability uh, let's say up in here in flagstaff you don't want to drive all the way down the capitol you can uh, create a comment in support of a bill against a bill uh, put in why and so on and so forth yeah i remember i, I did that i was at the legislature in 2005 serving it on staff mm-hmm. and um, the request to speak system at that time required you to go down to the Capitol to register for it. Right. And then once you registered, you could... Which is a, kind of a pain. Kind of a pain. You'd have to drive mm-hmm. the 300-mile round trip from Flagstaff to register. Right. It takes you 30 seconds. Yeah. And then get back in your car, come home, and then you could log in and comment on bills. So now you can do it remotely. You don't have to do that drive uh, so down. The, be- the best my collection they updated is so... That would be you good. Can, <laughs> that you can go ahead and sign up for it remotely as well as make your comments online. And are those comments, are they impactful on the... They are. I feel like when I write, you know, if you write the U.S. president or your congressman or even the governor, Some, I don't feel like it's impactful. Yeah, sometimes. Well, these are. And, and, and I believe, as I recall, yeah, it's been a few years, but as I recall, staff will talk about the kinds of comments that came in, uh, giving like a tally. You know, we, we had 45 comments that were supportive of this bill, five comments that were against the bill. Um, members, if, if, you know, if they're... Um, really doing their homework they'll they'll look through those comments and highlight some you know that possibly either you know if they want to kill the bill or if they're supportive of the bill they'll look for comments that kind of support uh their position on that particular bill yeah that makes sense and they can read it and say hey this person supports it and so i do know when you're writing comments whether it be into this radio show or to the legislature the number one thing is keep it concise yeah and you don't want a four-page comment from every constituent. You, you, well, the problem is that, um, you know, I would get emails on a bill and you get 200, 300 emails um, that are all identical. So the, the t- or, you know, the subject line is identical. The text in the email is identical. There's no way I'm going to, uh, you know, read more than one. Right. You read emails. one and you see a yeah. du- duplicate and delete, delete, delete. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, so I, I've always told people that are interested in trying to, um, trying to influence what happens down at the legislature, that if you are going to take an idea that somebody has presented to you, make it your own, you know, change the subject line, change some of the text in the body of the email so that, you know, it's meaningful. Um, Okay. So here's my question. Email versus phone call versus snail mail. What's, what's going to get your attention as an official more? So I I would say uh, two things. Um, One would be to write an actual letter. Physical handwriting and, and drop it in the mail. So Put a stamp on it. Yeah, because I mean, you think about it. If if um, if you're getting hundreds and hundreds of emails on a daily basis, um, uh, you know, you're 
your inbox is getting totally full. Uh, it's not having the impact that the senders are, are wanting. And you might just get tired of that, uh, getting so many emails and just basically create some filters that delete those. Okay. So if when, someone's writing in a mail, in snail mail. Right. An actual paper letter. Will it get an official's attention more if they stick a dollar bill in there? Um, I, I've never had that happen, and <laughs> I would not recommend it. So, so I remember there was a rule at, that's unique to the Arizona legislature compared to the feds, mm-hmm. is you cannot give, as a lobbyist or whoever, a gift to just one uh, right. senator or representative. You have to give it to all of them, so, both parties. So, for example, um, Snowball was really nice. They, of course, would love to have electeds come up and, and ski. And so I had a good relationship with J.R. Murray up at Snowball. And so one of the things I would do, J.R. was very, you know, generous as far as uh, allowing people to ski. So uh, he would then say, you know, I can provide, you know, free lift uh, tickets. Uh, but I would then put out the message to all the members and basically say, if you'd like to come up to Snowball. Yeah, you could not. Yeah, you know, there's been scandals in the past where, you know, uh, a handful of people have gotten something from from um, uh, an individual or an organization. And uh, yeah, that's that's just kind of dirty pull. It is. And it's illegal in Arizona, but it's still mm-hmm. legit still, at the federal level. Yeah. You know, they, we've seen this in the Supreme Court. Yeah, we've seen but, it in the, you know, the, the people in the in the federal government, why, uh, why worry about getting little gifts and things like that when you can just do insider trading and, right. make, and make millions <laughs> of dollars? I was just looking at Nancy Pelosi's uh, trades yeah. and what she's bought into. I was like, maybe I should buy the same thing. <laughs> there, there is at least one company now that follows uh, what Congress people are investing in. And so, in other words, you can you can basically do all the trades and, and automate and basically say whatever, you know, the most, uh, you know, successful Congress people in their trades, whatever they're doing, I want to mirror that. So one of Jeff's big sponsors on the show is WT Wealth Management, and they right. actually have a woke fund and an anti-woke fund, uh-huh. and you can... You can choose, you know, do you want to support companies that are woke or not? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I like that. And I'm, I'm kind of pleased that, you know, we're, we're starting to see some of those woke companies pull back and, and, <laughs> and stop dabbling in politics and just really do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, just do it. You know, it's really frustrating. I, I fly American Airlines a lot because uh-huh. out of Flagstaff Airport, that's your, oh, your yeah. airlines. And if you're out of what, what Prescott, else? it's United, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have a choice, but it, it's been really frustrating when you only have one choice. Mm-hmm. And I just heard in the news today, they're laying off 600 and some employees wow. to make customer service better. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> just don't understand <laughs> how that, that even works. Well, it, it, yeah, they're shipping, probably shipping all the customer service over to India. Well, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah, are they doing that or did they just lay off 600 Indians oh. from the telecommunications center? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I want to know what this uh, layoff for uh, improved customer service actually means. It seems a little ridiculous to it, me. It certainly does. All right, we were talking about the weather earlier. It is uh, cold outside. And, uh, it, compared to yesterday. Good indoor activity, timberline, firearms, and oh, training. Oh, good. And, yeah. and they've, they've got some great training programs like the Stop the Bleed program. Stop the Bleed is great. I've taken that at least twice, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, fascinating. Because mm-hmm. you, know, you think Stop the Bleed, you think tourniquet. But right. there's a lot more to it than... There's packing wounds and mm-hmm. uh, Israeli wraps and all kinds of things. But yeah, Timberline firearms and training. Training, I love when people get gun training because mm-hmm. it's so easy to get a gun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so easy to buy a car. Doesn't know, mean you know how to drive the car. Doesn't mean you know how to shoot the gun. 
Jeff and I were out at Timberline uh, with Rob on opening day when he opened up uh, the facility, and Jeff and I got to both shoot an automatic weapon. Ooh, fun and, and expensive. Um, yeah, and well, yeah, and so uh, we just had a ball, and uh, yeah, I took pictures of Jeff. I mean, he looked like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> yeah, that, that I've always wanted to do that. I've shot some automatics plenty, but I never got to shoot a fully. Automatic. So I had the an absolute treat. I went down to uh, Florence and a live fire exercise with our um, our reservists, our, oh. our um, army reservists. Yeah. And so um, one of the gentlemen, he's actually I think from the Flagstaff area. Um, he uh, was a sergeant, and he had won awards uh, going to national competitions where you you fire the um, saw the uh, oh yeah uh, the squad automatic weapon. And so he was teaching me how to fire it. And so um, there's a target like 50 feet away, and there's these little boxes that you're shooting at that are literally like an inch wide and inch and a half tall. And um, so he was telling me that um, in the competition, uh, part of the competition is re- replacing the, the barrel the hot barrels and so uh-huh. he had he had like burn marks all over his arms <laughs> yeah scars yeah and so um what was interesting about shooting that automatic weapon um is that um if you sh- if you pull the trigger and it only shoots one bullet you're um you lose points if it shoots two bullets then that's what you're trying to achieve if you shoots three bullets or more then you lose points. Oh, so you've got to have a fast on-off finger for this. Exactly. So you have to have that control. So you're not only um, using iron sights to um, try to hit the target that you want to hit, these little little boxes on a paper target, but you have to control the rate of fire of the automatic weapon. Well, that's pretty neat. So if you do, does Rob still, uh, I'd have to ask Rob if he still has automatic weapons out there that you can shoot and wrench. What we shot was, it almost looked like an AR-15 style weapon that was fully automatic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's Timberline Firearms and Training. They're just north of the Flagstaff Mall. I've been there. I've I've practiced there. Huge Great fun. facility. Rob's a good, and Rob and his wife are amazing. And it's a green facility. They have solar panels. Wow. Uh, you know, it's it's neat. It's it's really a state of the art high tech facility. I that's, like shooting. That's it. fun. Yeah. Yeah, I heard actually the uh, the saw is being retired. Oh, and is it really? Yeah, they're going to re- just issue a, a standard um, automatic rifle with lots of magazines instead of a belt fed system. Yeah. With the, um, the saw, what was interesting about it is you could uh, do belt feed, which Mm -hmm. I was doing, but also if you run out of your ammo on your belt feed, you could then take a, um, um, a magazine from another soldier that they were using in their, uh, like their M- M4. Yeah. And you could slap it in the saw and continue and firing. Keep, keep firing. The, the, the thing with the automatic weapon is the barrels get hot. So uh, having the ability yep. to change out those barrels is really important. Yeah, you just take it out and burn yourself taking it out and put there another one on. <laughs> but that's combat. Yeah, it's interesting where um, how the U.S. approaches combat compared to other countries where they just issue everybody an AK-47 and go right. go shoot Mass amounts of bullets. And mm-hmm. and they teach them how to say praise Allah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a scary thing what happens over there. I do want to talk about Israel when we come back next hour. Um, we're up against a break right now. Uh, my guest is Bob Thorpe. I am Mark Howitt filling in for Jeff Orvitz. Hey, if you're listening to the podcast, please give us a great review and also give us a comment in there. If you're not listening to the podcast, subscribe. Look up The Jeff Orbit Show. Also on video, Rumble, follow us there. And on YouTube, subscribe. We appreciate everyone who's done that.
All right, welcome back to the Jeff Orvitz Show. We're done for this hour, but we'll be back next hour. We're going to talk about Israel and a couple other hot topics. I'm Mark Howitt filling in for Jeff Horvitz, and we'll have a special guest, Bob Thorpe, also continuing for the next hour. This is the Jeff Orvid Show. Welcome back to the Jeff Orvid Show. I'm Mark Howitt, sitting for Jeff, who's taking a small break from doing the radio show today. He will be back with us shortly. Uh, my special guest is Bob Thorpe. Hi, everyone. Hi, Bob. Welcome. Back to the Jeff Orvis Show. Again, you've been a regular guest. Hour number two. <laughs> Hour number two. Um, let's talk about what you're doing. You ran, you were serving, actually, for eight years in the Arizona legislature. From 2013 through uh, 2021. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now you're running for office again, but where or what office? Locally. You know, so, uh, you know, people have approached me and said, you know, you should run for the legislature again. And in eight years, I put on about a quarter million miles on vehicles. <laughs> Without and, a joke. Yeah. And, and you know, what's frustrating about that is you spend, it's not just the miles, but it's the hours and hours and hours and hours sitting in a car seat um, going from one place to another. And it's not just going down to the legislature. It's also going out into the district. And um, what they did to our district, it became, it went from LD six to LD seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, would I, if I were going to run again and um, now, uh, it, well, I should back up in the past. I would drive as far as snowflake right, uh, to be within my district. Um, now it goes all the way down to Phoenix yeah, I mean, you, you literally kind of make a left or right hand turn um, out in um, the Winslow or now Winslow, even further, Holbrook area. Yep. And then you're heading down the hill all the way to two, or all the way to Phoenix. So in Arizona, we redistrict with the census every 10 years. Right. And it's always somewhat of a fight because there, and there's a committee. <laughs> there's a committee. And it's uh, were you on the committee or I was not. You were not. OK, I think. Rob, try, they tried to have Rob on the committee, right. and they said he was too politically biased. Rob, Rob from uh, Timberline. Timberline Firearms mm-hmm. and Training. Yeah. Out Flagstaff. Yeah. Rob's a great guy. He served in the, the mm-hmm. Navy submarine oh, yeah. warfare for a long time. He's a bubblehead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great guy. Um, when I looked at the redistricting, um, they have a, a bunch of priorities. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be geographically compact. Uh, it's supposed to be... Communities that are similar. Right. Communities mm-hmm. that have similar interests. So in right. other words, you live in Doney Park, you're going to shop in Flagstaff. You should right. probably be in the same right. district, right? Because mm-hmm. those are your similar areas of interest, concern. So LD6 I used to serve in, part of my district was Navajo County. And so, and part of Navajo County, of course, is a part of the reservation. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, the, big part. Uh, the yeah. Navajo, um, actually the Navajo Nation. I, uh, yeah, I, I try not, never to use the, the term reservation. I think uh, most, um, like Navajo and Hopi people, they, they like to think of themselves more independent. So they're the Navajo Nation, the Hopi Nation. Which brings a whole question of a nation within a state within a nation, but. <laughs> yeah, a little bit complex, but um, long story short, you know, so then you have to ask the question if, um, if you're serving Flagstaff, if you're serving Cottonwood like I was, 
um, and you're also serving Navajo County, are, are you really talking about uh, communities that are, are uh, very similar? Shared interest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shared interest. I ran for the legislature. I didn't win, but years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I think it was LD2, but it was all of Apache County, basically, mm-hmm. Navajo County, mm-hmm. Coconino County. It was huge. Yeah. And Window Rock does not share much interest with Cottonwood no. or Flagstaff or Win- Williams or Winslow. Mm-hmm. And so every time I see these redistricting commissions do their thing, Mm -hmm. it's very gerrymandered. And Mm -hmm. basically, it comes down to they're trying to get enough Republican districts to keep a majority Mm -hmm. for the Republicans, because that's who's in control. The Democrats would do the exact same thing. Sure. Uh, And they get these really gerrymandered districts where... But really, really, in all truth, you know, the, the voters passed uh, the redistricting uh, committee, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have, uh, I'm trying to remember, two, I think it's two Democrats, two Republicans, and an independent. Right, that sounds right to me. And um, on that on that committee, and, and they are supposed to go around and, inter- and, and basically go to, for example, like Flag City Hall, and people can come in and ask questions and, and mm-hmm. maybe talk about, let's say, if they already have a map drawn up, you know, whether uh, people, the general public public likes the map or doesn't like the map. But then it begs the question that has anything really changed all that much? Is our, our districts being cut up uh, still from a political bias standpoint, which I think the voter law was trying to end that practice? Right. Yeah, you don't want to, if you group all the Democrats in one district and all mm-hmm. the Republicans in another district, mm-hmm. the outcome is given. And it, it candidates don't want to run. It's not always given, but most of the districts within Arizona, we have 30 districts. Mm -hmm. Most of them, the clean elections commission says aren't really contested. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's only a a handful that are. Right. And that's really a shame. And I've, I've talked with people that are very frustrated where literally the district is drawn down the middle of the street they live on. Yeah. So, so in (laughs) other words, they're, they're in one district and their neighbors directly across the street are in a different district. So during this last redistricting, I, I contacted the committee and said, because their original plan, they come out with a plan and then they mm-hmm. get public input and they come out. And, and so the original plan was all of Flagstaff was in one district with part of the res or the mm-hmm. Navajo Nation. Mm-hmm. And, but places like Mountain Air, Kachina Village, Forest Highlands were in a separate district. Right. I said, look, if you live in Mountain Air, you are, there's no grocery stores there, really. Mm-hmm. You're shopping in Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. You need to be in the same district. It's geographically the same area. Mm-hmm. Your interests are the same. Mm-hmm. You care about the things that happen in Flagstaff. And so they took my advice, and they then included the southern part of Flagstaff in with Mountain Air right. and Kachita Village and east of Phoenix. So, so <laughs> as I recall, the way that they divided Flagstaff up was based upon the freeway. It, pretty much. I-40. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So anyone above, you know, north of I-40 was in one district, and yep. anyone south of I-40 was in a different district. So now I am in District 7 with you, LD7, which is Wendy Rogers, um, David Cook, and um, the other David. I forgot his last name. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've never even mentioned Shepherd? Um No, that's not it. Anyway, so yeah. David, David, and Wendy right. are representatives. Mm-hmm. can't think of his name off, off the top of my head. Um, but then... If I just go one mile north, mm-hmm. I'm in a completely dis- different district. If I go to shop at Walmart mm-hmm. or wherever, I'm in a, now in another district. And at the same time, I'm sharing a district with the San Carlos Apache tribe. Right. 
I mean, the district literally goes down to just east of Phoenix. So I've had people come to me um, and be very upset about <clears throat> voting in Flagstaff. So, mm-hmm. for example, like I live just outside the city limits. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have no vote, no say in um, the council, in taxing, in any of those things that happen in the city of Flagstaff. Right. And there's lots of people that live in Coconino County that are the same way. So, in other words... They, they come into Flagstaff to spend their money, um, and yet they have no say in, in the city of Flagstaff. And even less so now with the redistricting, because now you don't even have a representative at the legislature that mm-hmm. covers you and Flagstaff. Right. So it's a little bit frustrating. I well, Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> and saying. yeah, the only thing I can tell people is, um, you know, you could always become part of the city of Flagstaff. <laughs> you could, you could, you know, t- try uh, to get your area. Up your property and, tax and yeah, up your sales tax. into uh, Flagstaff. And of course, the, they immediately say, no way. <laughs> There's no, is there any real benefit to ever being annexed into a city? I mean, maybe fire coverage, you maybe, you know, fire um, police. I, I think that you and I probably have our frustrations with the city of Flagstaff, and and yet there are communities, there are cities um, across the nation that you probably would want to be um, associated with because those cities are run really, really well. Mm. Now, one thing that I ran into, um, you know, goodness, a, a decade and a half ago, is we wanted fire protection in, in our community. And we're in, in You're the just county. outside of Flagstaff. We're outside of Flagstaff in the, community, in, um, in the county. And um, at that time, the city of Flagstaff, the city fire, would, would grant um, some contracts outside uh, in the county area. Right. Um, that you could, you could pay your property taxes, additional property taxes to be part of city fire. Uh, but what was interesting is that they had no guarantee that they would respond. And, <laughs> that's, and so, that's not very encouraging. Yeah. So what we ended up doing um, in our community is we convinced all the local neighbors to annex ourselves into the Highland Fire District. Okay. Um, so immediately people saw an increase in their property taxes because right. they're now part of a fire district. Of course, you know, one, you know, a couple of the benefits, of course, is is if you need help, they'll respond. But the other benefit is um, you can then, you know, with your insurance, sometimes you can't get property insurance or home insurance. Unless you have fire department within a certain range yeah. and coverage and all this. So, the, so it, it's beneficial. But the, there are people in our community um, that absolutely wanted nothing to do with it, you know, because they feel that they, they moved into a rural part of Coconut County because they wanted to be away from, you know, the infrastructure that you would normally find within a city. Yeah, and at what point does it make sense to pay less property tax and then just buy a big water tank and a pump? Well, then, <laughs> then you're well. Uh, I got to be honest with you. As a volunteer firefighter, um, I think it's like sixty percent or more uh, of fire departments, fire districts. Their response is for medical reasons. Right. That that they're. It's very rare. I mean, you think about uh, fires are rare compared like, to medical. You, you're you're involved in construction, mm-hmm. and and so you think about the way we build houses now compared to the way they were being built in, let's say, in the 1920s, 1930s, something like that. Yep. That um, they are more fire resilient. Uh, there are communities where they require, uh, well, of course, you you require smoke detectors and and carbon monoxide detectors, but there's also communities that require sprinklers in in houses. Yep. And so. Um, 
That's an interesting thing, though, because the uh, International Residential Code actually requires sprinklers in every residence, Mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. But the state of Arizona has preempted that and said uh, cities and counties cannot require sprinklers except in if it's on like a private street or a private development. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, that was uh, way before you were in the legislature even. Right. And uh, they just preempted that and said, no, that's why we don't all have sprinklers. Mm -hmm. And it would add, it adds a huge cost. And the number one thing I've seen is far more houses being destroyed from sprinkler systems gone bad. Got it. Than from fire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they leak. Yeah. uh, And then it destroys everything. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the sprinklers are, are smart enough that if one goes off, they don't all go off. However, uh, yeah, you you, it only takes one. <laughs> you have pressurized water uh, yep. in the pipes that are above your head. And uh, yeah, if you spring a leak, yeah, you have a problem. Yeah, and a lot of times it's not even pressurized water because up here they have to pressurize them with uh, like a propylene glass, like an antifreeze. Mm-hmm. Otherwise they freeze. So now you're not just getting water damage, you've got water chemical damage. Wow. I, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The pipes will freeze mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. in, you know, Northern Arizona. So yeah, I am not a fan of sprinklers unless, you know, you're in a situation where you're in a gated community. You've mm-hmm. chosen that path. In, in a situation like that, if a fire alarm goes off in somebody's house, usually there's security people in that gated community that respond. They respond to that house as well. So when I was young, I lived in New York on a farm. We mm-hmm. had a 430-acre farm. And wow. I was, I was probably six years old, and uh, my folks were out to dinner, and we had a babysitter. Uh-huh. Look out the window, and the barn is on fire. Oh, goodness. Wow. Hay barn. Wow. So you can imagine a, a two-story hay barn going uh-huh. up in flames. It was, wow. And it was a, it was a thunderstorm house. It was completely poor. Uh-huh. But there was so much tinder in that hay barn. Yeah. It just burnt and burnt and burnt. And I, I don't know if you've ever been near a fire. You know, so as a firefighter, I'd... Oh, I'd, anyway, so after that, oh, I was, was going to say... Ta- I was going to talk about the um, radiant heat. Radiant that, heat, yeah. That you get off a fire like that. What I was going to say was my um, my dad, after that happened, he mm-hmm. put in a uh, basically a fire hose in our house. So if anything caught fire in the house, we could, we'd have pressurized water within the house to... Interesting. Hopefully extinguished before... It's a good but, idea. Yeah, the radiant heat put off. Um, oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge. You know, one of the things that we would train uh, at Highlands is uh, to get into, uh, we call them like shake and bake bags or, or you know, yeah, the, the, the silver bags. Oh, the personal uh, the, protection. The little, little tents that you yep. get into. And um, it's interesting because they want you to get into those little tents close to one another because you basically want to be talking to the person in the tent next to you to try to keep people calm so they don't leave the tent. Don't get up and run. And because, you know, when um, you get a blast of air from fire, uh, and sometimes it's, you know, 100 miles an hour, Mm -hmm. you know, that that, um, system that's created by the heat. And uh, and you could have, you know, four or 500 degree temperatures outside the tent and the blast of air. And it's scary. It's like you're right next to a train track. And And you're going to get really hot in the tent, but the hope is you'll still, it'll be like a sauna, but you'll still survive. That, you know, the, the amount of heat that you get will pass, you know, rel- relatively quick if the, if the fire is a quick moving fire. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Oh, you, you were going to ask me what I'm running for. What so, are you running for? You never told us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I kind of got sidetracked a little bit. So um, I will be running for uh, county recorder. And and a lot of people don't have a clue what the county recorder so does. So Coconino County Recorder, and that's mm-hmm. a, we're the second largest geographical county. We are, next to Riverside County in California. Okay, I've got a ton of questions for that, but tell me, what does the 
recorder do? So I, I, I was thinking I could ad lib or I could read something. So AZ Central, um, they actually had a description of what a counting recorder does. And I, and I thought it was a, a fairly concise, so I'll go ahead and read it. It says, these officials manage public do- uh, records in their county, including property documents and government information. Many of the many provide tools that aim to safeguard the public from, for example, title fraud and other types of fraud. They are responsible for maintaining voter registration records and administering early voting, including mailing out early ballots, providing on-site early voting locations, and verifying voter signatures on early ballots, affidavits, and petitions. Okay. So your house title and your voter ballot. Yeah. <laughs> your ballot exactly. and your title. And, you know, what's interesting is, um, you know, uh, from a personal standpoint, I'm, I'm kind of passionate about the idea of, of uh, protecting uh, important documents because I actually had a neighbor commit title fraud against my wife and I. Oh, and, and so this, this neighbor, I won't say his name, but this neighbor had owned a uh, title company uh, for like, 30 years, 40 years. And, um, we had granted him a free easement and he went ahead and built whatever he wanted. And then he re-recorded a new easement that he granted to himself. That was more than double the size of the original easement that we had granted to him. And, oh, wow. um, did he forge signatures or how did, how no, did he, he left our signature page in place from the, from the first easement we granted oh. to him. And so he, he literally took uh, like a pen or pencil, crossed out the original um, description of the easement we're granting to him and recorded a brand new easement. Uh, and, and so we've been fighting with him for uh, several years now, um, trying to get some kind of resolution, um, you know, uh, and he, in the past we were willing to grant him a new easement for the, what he did on our property. But now we've gotten to a point where we're so frustrated with this guy that, uh, we're, we're no longer willing to give him an easement. Wow, that is crazy. And you hear about that a lot, people stealing people's homes. And I think the Arizona legislature uh, passed a bill or had a bill before then. Wendy Rogers was talking about that to help prevent ah, title, uh, title theft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, title fraud. I think it's more difficult than, yeah, I I kind of wonder how often it even happens. You know, you watch these commercials. Mm-hmm. And, and so for this guy who had owned a title company, he was able to use his title company to commit title fraud against us. But for the average person, you think about it, to be able to record something, um, for example, here in Coconino County, uh, typically it comes from a title company. And so, you know, you can't just... You know, uh, let's say, you know, you, let's say you own a home and I decide that I, you know, I want to, you know, take 50% of it as an easement. Um, I can't just write up that document and walk into Coconino County and say, here, I'd like this recorded. Typically, it has to go through due diligence of a title company. Typically, but if it's a real simple transaction without uh, mortgages and whatnot, I mean, quick claim deed is, mm-hmm. it goes fast. It's, you know, page sure. or two and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it is a little scary. Scary stuff. I don't necessarily recommend going out to one of those companies and and subscribing to their their protection plan, but right. uh, it is something. I, I hope the legislature has addressed that. Well, they were and talking the, about doing it. And you know, the according to this description of of uh, what a recorder does is it's important to have tools in place at the recorder's office to uh, try to 
keep title fraud from occurring. Okay. And so, so my background, part of my background, I, I worked at Price Waterhouse. I, I, I did uh, software development and database development. And so I have a lot of professional IT experience. And so it's my hope if I'm elected as recorder that I can take some of those skills that I've, I've had for you know, 20, 30 years um, in the IT realm and, and apply it to that office. Right. So it's... The recorder's office, I mean, it's a partisan election. It doesn't seem like it should be a, a partisan position. I, I wish it wasn't. And it almost doesn't even seem like it should be an elected position. When but, I was at the legislature, I tried to change uh, the election of sheriffs and, and uh, stop them from being partisan. And the sheriffs actually came to me and said, we don't want you to run the bill. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> for whatever reason, they liked the idea of having a, a – and, and the term partisan, we're talking about that – you can have a Republican or a Democrat run for office, as opposed to the Flagstaff City Council, which is nonpartisan. You uh, you know you can figure out you know whether somebody uh, sure, what the, party uh, that they're affiliated Democrat with. County officials actually list who to vote for. They're like, yeah. you vote for all these Democrats <laughs> who are running for this nonpartisan position. But but on the on the day of election, it doesn't say that Joe Smith is a Democrat or Republican. It's right. a nonpartisan race. I mean, the one advantage I could see was. If you're unhappy, like if there's been a bunch of title fraud and the person in there is a of one party, you can right. say, all right, I'm not voting for that party next time for this right. job. They're yeah, out. They, we're going to try the other party. They, they let me down. So we're going we're to change. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's um, that's a big thing. That, so the other part, and we'll talk about this more after the break, is the elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people have been upset about elections mm-hmm. uh, on both sides. There's a, a drop in confidence across the nation. Which is a shame. So that's it's another chance to turn over the staff, the person leading, and this, probably the staff as well, mm-hmm. uh, by voting for somebody else. I mean, you can you pick your own staff? I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I, I doubt that I would go in and make those kinds of changes. I, I, I would, you know, if I'm elected as recorder, I would have conversation with the staff and basically say, look, this is a nonpartisan office. We're, we're not going to introduce any kind of politics. We're going to treat every voter uh, identically. We're going to treat every candidate identically. Uh, I think that's extremely important. But at the same time, um, you know, telling people in that office that, you know, we're not going to practice politics and just ensure that they don't. And if that is the case and they're doing a good job, then there is no reason to replace them. Right. Yeah. Somebody's doing their job correctly. And, keep them in place. With, keep the experience. Without, Why not? Without any politics, then mm-hmm. the, then they're more than qualified to continue to work in that office. All right. I'm Mark Howitt. My special guest is Bob Thorpe. I'm filling in for Jeff Orvitz. We'll be back in a few. Hey, if you're listening to the podcast, please give us a great review and also give us a comment in there. If you're not listening to the podcast, subscribe. Look up The Jeff Orvitz Show. Also on video, Rumble, follow us there. And on YouTube, subscribe. We appreciate everyone who's done that. Listening to the Jeff Orovitz Show. Kim Dawson, NMLS 6974111, Nova Home Loans, NMLS 3087BK number 090242, Equal Housing Opportunity, subject to credit approval, terms and conditions may apply. If you're buying or refinancing to consolidate high rate credit cards, don't be misled by teaser interest rates online. 
Hey, this is Jeff Orvitz encouraging you to call Kim Dawson at Nova Home Loans to save time and money. As Arizona's largest privately owned mortgage lender, Nova Home Loans makes local decisions like a bank. And because they're also a broker, Kim Dawson has access to all the best programs. Move your offer to the front of the line with Kim Dawson's pre-approval letter. It's the next best thing to have in cash in hand. For purchase or refinance, call Kim Dawson at 928-310-6458. Oh, and by the way, for a limited time, get a $250 gift certificate. Save $250 off your lender fees on any loan in the next year. But you got to call 928-310-6458. That's Kim Dawson at Nova Home Loans at 928-310-6458. Are you conservative and would like your investments to reflect those same principles? Glenn Least of WT Wealth Management wants to talk with you about how to match your portfolio with your values. If companies that are more concerned with their wokeness than successful business policies have been negatively impacting you and your investments, then it's time for a second opinion on your investment strategy. Glenn Least and WT Wealth Management have curated and launched a proprietary woke mitigation portfolio. It features companies primarily focused on increasing shareholder value through profitable business operations and offering excellent goods and services, period. Now, Glenn is a fiduciary who shares your values. Call Glenn Least for a complimentary woke mitigation portfolio review at 928-225-2474. That's 928-225-2474. See how Glenn is putting the power back in the hands of his investors and making their portfolios great again. Call 928-225-2474. This is the Jeff Orbit Show. All right, welcome back to the Jeff Horvitz Show. This is Mark Howitt. I'm filling in for Jeff Horvitz, and I've got with me Bob Thorpe, former representative of the Arizona legislature, now running for Coconino County Recorder. That's correct. We found out that the recorder is in charge of titles, like things like your house title. Right. Important documents. Important documents, mm-hmm. and the other important document being your ballot. You're in Absolutely. charge of elections. Absolutely. So currently we have Patty Hansen, is she the recorder or is she? She's the recorder. Okay, she, she's been elected recorder. for a number of years because mm-hmm. she's been in there since I ran for office a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And she's, I guess, retiring, deciding not to run again. She has decided, yeah. There's no real term limit on this position, I don't think. Not to the best of my knowledge. Okay. Mm-hmm. Typically, Coconino County is Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the offices are. A lot of the offices are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city of Flagstaff, very very Democrat, but as you get more into the county, you get a more more Republicans and more balanced. Um. I know people, and I'm not going to name any names or even departments, but I know people in Coconino County government that are uh, very conservative. Right. And, but my guess is that on a day-to-day basis, they don't necessarily, uh, you know, make it, make people aware that they have kind of conservative leanings, but yeah, they're out there. Jeff teases me about this all the time. I've never been a registered Republican. I've been ah. a Democrat and mm-hmm. an independent. I ran as a Democrat and mm-hmm. as an independent. Got it. I uh, got to see a lot of the inside workings of the Democrat party. Mm-hmm. And my thought back then when I ran was why can't we have two good parties that are vying to do the best job for city, county, America? Right. Why can't we say, Hey, here's a problem. Let's both brainstorm and come up with solutions. And one party's going to have this solution. The other's going to have that. Put our, meld our minds together. And America's just not going that way anymore. Do you remember uh, Red for Red? Yes. Okay. So the uh, Governor Ducey decided that he wanted to pump 
a bunch of money into the schools, into K through 12 schools. Not that the money actually helps with the outcomes, but yeah, well, that was the intention. That's the intention. But you know, it was, it was so fascinating because we literally had thousands of people that showed up wearing red t-shirts down at the Capitol Mm -hmm. uh, between the house and the Senate uh, to the point where they actually had security up on the tops of the buildings, keeping an eye in the crowd, you know, concerned about, you know, violence. Yep. So on the night when we're there until, like three in the morning, four in the morning, uh, passing the budget and passing bills. You know, one of the items that we had to pass was this you know, proposal uh, Governor Ducey had for putting more money into schools. And uh, between the House and the Senate, I think there's only one or two Democrats that voted in favor of it. And so here, you know, you, so it, it's, <laughs> this it's, is money for education. It's mind boggling because, yeah. you know, one of the pet peeves of uh, the Democrat Party has always been to support teachers, support education, try to get more money into education. And, and yet here they were all voting against it because it was a Republican governor uh, and Republicans that were were behind that bill. So back to your point. Just that drives now. me nuts when yeah. there's a good bill, whether or not that was a good bill. Yeah. I don't even go there, but it, there's a good bill and people vote against it for partisan reasons right. instead of looking out for the best of the, the people that they're supposed to represent. I know people, I, I, I know a, a young lady who's a teacher. She's a science teacher um, here in Coconino uh, High School. Mm-hmm. And she also runs the robotics program. Okay. And so she spends many, 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 many extra hours uh, in her week, you know, working with tutoring uh, the robotics students uh, and they go to competitions and, yep. and she doesn't get any extra pay for all this extra work that she puts in. And so I look at a teacher like that and I, I just have the greatest amount of, um, you know, respect and admiration. Okay. So this, her. this and drives me nuts because she, of all teachers, should get paid more because robotics is a great example of yeah. training students with a job skills, really. In a high-tech world. And these kids, it's it's fascinating. Uh, The programs are so challenging for these kids. Everything they have to do in that robotics program that these kids will then graduate from high school and they don't necessarily go into high technology, but they get scooped up. You know, having that background, the things that they've achieved in high school um, prepares them for getting scholarships, for doing, uh, you know, computer science, uh, work, uh, (laughs) medical. uh, I mean, you name it. uh, They get scooped up because they've shown uh, that they go over and above. And so, yes, the the teachers that are involved uh, in that program, I have the highest level of admiration. And so for I look at a teacher like that and man, if I can increase her salary, ensure that she's going to stick around and continue uh, developing these fantastic students. Of course, uh, I bend over backwards to do that. Yeah, I look at, uh, you know, junior high as you should be teaching students how to be good employees, how to work, how to be productive. And high school, at, by that point, you should be learning a job skill of some kind, whether it be in robotics or high tech or being a plumber or a painter, some kind of skill that you can use. And you may never use it in life, but you have something to fall back on. So I found this far side uh, cartoon that I absolutely adore. It, okay, it, jo- first of all, Bob is showing an old guy who doesn't have his reading glasses on. Oh, this, this okay, Friday, so, you're going to have to read so, this cartoon. So it's, it's, a, it's a little kid, and he's like in junior high metal shop, and he's created this robot that looks like it could destroy the world. And, and the metal shop teacher has his back to him, and the little kid says, 
My project's ready for grading, Mr. Big Nose. Hey, I'm talking to you, Squid Brain. And so he's created this robot as his metal shop uh, project uh, that looks like it could uh, you know, rip the head off the teacher. You know? The robot's name is Guido, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but really, we, that's what we should be doing is teaching kids skills. Uh, you know, whether it be, you know, trade skills or high tech right. skills, something. You know, as I've been a contractor for years and I've trained a lot of people, mm-hmm. but the number one thing I need is not that you even have all the skills to be in the construction industry. It's right. the number one skill is coming to work with a work attitude and a work right. ethic. And, and, and if you I don't, can't fix those things. And if you don't know a skill, the, having the desire to learn that skill. Yep. If you're employable is what I would say. Right. <laughs> but going back to education, I looked at the numbers, you know, the number one funded state for education is Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. They spend the number one amount. We spend like, the, we're like 47, 48, 49. Right. We vie for the lowest. Mm-hmm. But then I went and looked at SAT scores. Mm-hmm. We're kicking Massachusetts's booty around. Is Our SAT2s are higher. Yeah. And we've got an extreme number of English language learners, a second language right. here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Cost our system a lot of extra money for mm-hmm. ESL. And when we think of ESL, you might think of people coming across the border. That's not all. You've got numerous uh, Indian nations here right. that grew up with parents or grandparents speaking Navajo, Hopi, whatever. I don't know if you've ever seen the photographs, but um, out on the Navajo Nation, there there are many roads that are just dirt roads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when the, the rains come and the snow comes and you'll see a school bus that the tires are completely buried on one side. The school right. bus is leaning like, you know, 20, 30%. You might not be getting to school that day. And so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, so you think about the challenges that yeah. the kids, especially Hopi kids, Navajo kids, uh, the other nations, the Apache uh, kids, um, the challenges that they have mm-hmm. to, to get a good education um, compared to the kids that live, you know, a block or two away from a, a Flagstaff school. And I'm reading this book that's really fascinating right now. It's about language and mm-hmm. How we as, uh, call it white America, look down on everybody for not speaking English. Huh. When in reality, a lot of these people are, are speaking two or even three languages. And we're here in our monolingual, Which, uh, judgmental well, state. <laughs> you know, I, I've never been good at, at multiple languages. And I have the, the highest admiration, you know, for somebody who is fluent in multiple languages. I mean, I just, I just think that that is a skill. I have a brother-in-law who um, grew up in Lebanon, uh, Beirut. I mean, he fluently speaks like, you know, four or five different languages. Yeah, they're amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just incredible. Yeah, I noticed that from the time I spent in the Middle East is Israel took over Sinai uh, for maybe a decade or so. And the, the Arabs, the Egyptians living in Sinai mm-hmm. learned Hebrew in that time period. And you go wow. back now and they can speak to you in English or in Hebrew or in Arabic or maybe French. And like, and these are just, you know, traders in the middle of Sinai, you know, selling mm-hmm. wares or selling food or whatever. You know, lingual geniuses. Just incredible. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I, so the Israeli conflict has been on my mind really big yeah. after living over there. I, I've been over there since 92. So I've seen a lot of it, different phases. Absolutely broke my heart. What would happen? And it's happening still. I mean, people don't realize Hamas is still shooting rockets into Israel. Mm -hmm. Palestinians, the Muslim Arabs in Mm -hmm. Gaza are still flying Hamas flags. Mm -hmm. They're still flying Hamas flags in the West Bank. Go back to World War II. If someone flew a Nazi flag in the U.S., you would consider them an enemy. Oh, yeah. And if you were in war... You know, as an American, if you saw a person flying a Nazi flag, you would try to shoot them because they were the enemy. Mm-hmm. And people keep calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Well, lay down the Hamas flag, stop mm-hmm. flying that, and free the hostages. The, yeah. the war is not going to end until these things happen. Have, have all the Hamas terrorists uh, actually turn themselves in. Yeah, and you know, know, give up. And, the, and then the war is over. 
Right. And the, the politicians and even the news try to always separate Hamas from the average Muslim Arab. And I say Muslim Arab because there's Christian Arabs who want nothing to do with this. This is right. not their thing. They, they try to separate the two, the, the average Muslim person on the street from the Hamas. But the reality is, where's Hamas coming from? Every generation, there's new teenagers being brought into Hamas out of the school system. They're training them in the school system to hate Israel, to hate right. America, to hate Western values. And they're just inbreeding this, you know, generation after generation. And that's where Hamas is coming from. It's not some foreign group that sprung up out of, out of nowhere. Israel and other countries have given uh, Gaza all, all kinds of money to put in water pipes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to have clean water for their citizens. And so what do the terrorists do? They dig up the water pipes, cut up the water pipes, and then uh, pack them full of explosives and use them as improvised rockets. Early on, uh, the what was it, the uh, New York Times and others blamed Israel for uh, a bomb that went off at a hospital. And, and at first they t- said, you know, 500 people were killed and you name it. And then there's video footage that came out that showed it was one of these improvised rockets that was built by uh, the Hamas uh, terrorists in Gaza that yep. they had shot, and it came right back down and landed in the parking lot of the uh, hospital. Yeah, and that was one of the worst ones. That is actually a very common thing, that mm-hmm. uh, they'll fire a rocket out of Gaza, mm-hmm. and it won't go towards Israel, end up landing somewhere else in Gaza, mm-hmm. or blowing up on the spot, because they're improvised. Right. Uh, they don't have high-tech guidance. They're not no. made in factories. No. Uh, you know, they're made in underground tunnels. And those tunnels are often under schools, under hospitals. Oh, I remember the one they Civic found under, under one of the main hospitals. Yeah. It's, Incredible. You know, Hamas has learned, you know, that's you disguise ambulance or basically a car bomb. Mm. The best place is an ambulance. Sure. You know, and then if Israel hits the ambulance, like, oh, you're blowing up ambulances. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a bomb in the ambulance. You know, what What are you going to do about that? You, and and the the poor people, you know, the people of, uh, of Gaza, you know, they, they ended up, electing Hamas to uh, be in charge of their country. Overwhelmingly. And and uh, what was it, 2005, the Israelis basically gave Gaza over to self-rule. So, yep. um, you know, people talk about, you know, uh, that Israel is, is um, uh, still controlling that area. No, they gave it up in 2005. So they've had, what, um, all these years, over 10 years, um, 15 years uh, of self-rule, and the lives of the average people living in Gaza has not increased. Oh, it's gotten much worse. And <laughs> and and then right now, as people are trying to flee these war zones, uh, Hamas is oftentimes blocking them from leaving yep. because they want these human uh, shields. Human shields, yeah. No, when I was in Israel in '92, you could still go into Gaza. Israel was still running Gaza. I mean, you had local governments that were strictly Muslim Arab governments, but mm-hmm. the Israelis were really in control. And you could go to Gaza as a Westerner, mm-hmm. no problem. Uh, the Gazans could come into Israel and work. And then more and more uh, terror activities happened, especially with the Second Intifada in, mm-hmm. in the 2000s. And Israel just, they started pulling away from Gaza mm-hmm. and just blocking it off and saying, no, we, we can't have you coming in the country and blowing up our citizens. Right. And eventually they had the, uh, call them the Oslo Accords and they had the elections, mm-hmm. the one and only election. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the Palestinians in Gaza voted in Hamas, and mm-hmm. Hamas has never left power. Mm-hmm. It's, they've just crippled the Gaza Strip, absolutely have, crippled it. You have Muslims there living in Israel uh, that, would, uh, that absolutely love living in Israel. They do. Because they are safe. They're safe. They have businesses that they know that their business is safe and so on and so forth. Fresh yeah. running water, paved oh, yeah. streets, you know, the whole thing. And that's been one of the major concerns as I talk to my Israeli friends is we 
they don't want to see, there's a problem in Gaza, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's been some flare-ups in the West Bank, mm-hmm. and they don't want to see it turning into a within-Israel conflict. Mm-hmm. In other words, you don't want the Muslim Arabs in Israel getting upset. You don't want to have Hezbollah attacking from the north. You know, mm-hmm. There's still a PLO in Jordan. You know, A lot of Palestinians are in Jordan. Yeah, but Hezbollah in, uh, in Lebanon. Lebanon, yep, shooting they're, rockets and across. they're shooting rockets across, yeah, absolutely. And when we talk about Israel, people don't realize how small it is. Oh, it is, yeah. And how small the Gaza Strip is. The, mm-hmm. the distance from your house to downtown Flagstaff is further than the width of the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, both you and I live on the southern side of Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. It's my house in University Heights to downtown Flagstaff is about the width and of you, Gaza. And you look at the size of Israel, and then you look at the map of that area compared to Iran, for example. Iran is huge. And, and yeah, <laughs> I mean, Israel looks like this tiny little, um, you know, um, postage stamp in, in comparison to their neighbors around okay. them. I want to shift gears. We're going to take a quick break. But when I come back, I want to talk a little bit about Michelle Obama and the Democrats and all their fear for the upcoming election. Interesting. Hey, if you're listening to the podcast, please give us a great review and also give us a comment in there. If you're not listening to the podcast, subscribe. Look up The Jeff Orbit Show. Also on video, Rumble, follow us there. And on YouTube, subscribe. We appreciate everyone who's done that. All right, we're just about out of time for today, but I real quick want to talk with my guest, Bob Thorpe, about Michelle Obama. And there's been a lot of fear <laughs> going around on both sides. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I call it fear, but speculation. Speculation. Might be a better word. I'm a, I really think at this point, almost anybody on earth could beat Biden in the presidential exception. You mean somebody that has a pulse. Somebody with a pulse and who managed to keep their mouth shut a little bit. Uh, Michelle Obama, she would clearly win the Democrat vote, and I think she would win a lot of people in the middle. I'm a little afraid of her being the sudden candidate that the uh, Democrats put forward, because we saw with Biden, I mean, they brought Biden in really at the last minute, last right. you know, last presidential oh, he election. Oh, he was losing all the primaries. Yeah, I mean, and, it was looking like Sanders, right? Right. But the Democrats have super delegates and yeah. all these backroom strategies. Could a Michelle Obama be brought in at the last moment? That concerns me, because I think a Michelle Obama, just with the la- Obama mm-hmm. last name, Part of the speculation is that, you know, Joe, of course, you know, he can't find his way off a a stage. So you get to the convention. Do they then draft Michelle uh, and and Joe, um, you know, disappears in the sunset? Um, That's a possibility. Uh, Michelle, though, in the past has always basically said that she's not interested. My concern is... You know, she's playing you, hard to get. You have eight years of of Obama as president. You, a lot of people feel that he's still involved in running Biden's administration. And then if you have eight more years of Michelle, then Barack Hussein Obama is basically influenced politics out of the White House for twenty years. Yeah, he for sure still has some influence. I mean, the level. I think I, he has a lot of influence. He's definitely made a lot of money. I was looking up that up the other day. He and Michelle are worth about $70 million. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Incredible, considering they went in with about a million and a half. It's, yeah. it's just a huge gain, and we and, see that quite a bit. And they were complaining that they didn't have any money when, when they were in the White House. <laughs> well, Bob, thanks for uh, coming in today. Uh, this has been Mark Howitt filling in for Jeff.
Thanks for listening to the Jeff Orr Show. Portions of the show may be pre-recorded. And remember, the information provided on the show does not constitute legal, medical, financial, or tax advice. All information is the opinions of the host and his guests. You should always seek the advice of a professional regarding any of these complex issues to make sure all circumstances of your situation are properly considered. Remember to catch the podcast by looking up The Jeff Orbit Show on your favorite podcast provider, including places like Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, and more. Also available on Rumble and on YouTube. Just look up Orvitz, O-R-A-V-I-T-S. And remember, the show streams Monday through Friday at 4.06 p.m. right up at talkwithjeff.com. Also available on FM on 97.1 FM, the big talker throughout northern Arizona, and 107.9 FM in the Prescott area.